Hi, I'm Sam Medina. You can catch me on Mile 22, Venom, Elite Battle Angel, and you are listening to Inside Your Head with Nasty Neil. Thank you very much. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for well, me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Terrence Gordon, director of What's in a Name? The Alfredo Versace Story. That's correct. And producer of the documentary, and the African American Women in Cinema president, Tara Renee. It's very cool to have you both here. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, let everyone know what's in a name will screen January 25th at the AAWIC Sundance Edition. And uh, that's in Utah, Park City, Utah. So, uh, first of all, like uh, Terrence, what made you interested to tell the story? So how this came about, Neil, was, um, I believe it was, and uh, my dates could be a little bit off, but I think it was around um, 2010, um, actually no, a little bit before that, probably about 2008, um, a producer out in LA had um, had introduced me to Alfredo um, in the hopes of me doing a film for uh, a friend of his. Um, he, you know, he called me up, he said, Hey, Terrence, do you, do you want to do a film, um, for, uh, one of, uh, Fredo Versace's, uh, close friends. And I was like, yeah, well, absolutely. You know? Um, and you know, we started to proceed down that path of trying to, um, to arrange that. It was a film called La Triviata. It was Italian. It was just completely outside of the realm of, of anything <laughs> that would be in my line of, of thought. But, but I was interested nevertheless, because, you know, stories for me and, and films, is, you know, I, I enjoy it all sorts and I didn't mind, you know, taking uh, the liberties of, of experimenting on that. But, um, but that eventually fell through. And, but in the process of it, I got to know Alfredo and, um, you know, I, I knew about the Versace name, but I, I didn't know Alfredo Versace himself. Um, I didn't know of the Alfredo Versace brand and how it related to, to everything. And, the more I got to know him as an individual, I started to learn that there was this large story behind him. And I said, you know, um, it would be really good if, if I can do your story, you know, as a documentary, because this is, this is an incredible story and how come I haven't heard about it? And, and why did all this have to go down the way that it went down and, and just leave it at that? You know, I, I, I could understand that someone that had amounted this amount of credibility, a massive wealth and, and exposing his own creativity out to the world would have all that taken away and, and let it sit quietly. And and I kind of understood why he did, you know, after, you know, a decade and a half of years of fighting and hundreds of millions of dollars in expenses that, went down the, down the drain, um, still ended up leaving him with not having the ability to use his name in a brand. And on top of that, you know, all of the negative publicity that was on the internet. And I said, you know, you, you can't leave it like this. And it just didn't sit well with me. So I, I sort of, um, 
I sort of befriended him more in that space and say, you know, we should really do your story. And he's like, ah, sure, Terrence, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, it's just dope. And so I started to record. And, um, and every time I go to his place, I, I would record. And I was making another documentary at the time, um, or I should say I was researching another documentary. And so he would even join me on that. You know, he was that kind of laid back kind of guy. And he thought, you know, what I was doing with, um, with this other subject who was an Italian lady, um, you know, he was like, well, I'll come along with you. And, and so he did. And, and in the process of all of that, I started to get to know the man himself. And, and I, I realized that, you know, he's just an incredible human being and that he was a person that did not let his status of what he amassed get to his head. He was natural, normal, very laid back, very humble, and above all, to be able to go through the things that he went through and still keep his peace about him intrigued me. And uh, and so I just started filming, you know, because that's what I do. I just pick up my camera and I start rolling because I always say I never met someone I couldn't make a film about um, because <laughs> I just I just find people interesting in general. And, and he was definitely one of those that, that I found very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Tara, how, how, how early on did you, did you get involved as producer? Oh, actually, um, last year, uh, 2019, I met, uh, Terrence through a wonderful associate of mine, actually a good friend. And, um, he introduced me to Terrence and Terrence actually came to one of our film festivals that we held, that we hold actually annually every year. Uh, in March in New York City, uh, celebrating Women's History Month. And uh, Terrence came, and then after the festival, we had a, a really uh, good time to meet and talk. And he told me about the uh, project. And I was very uh, taken in in the content of the story, the context of the story. And so uh, I encourage. Uh, Terrence to continue to move forward with the project and then about a week after our meeting uh, he called me up and said you know I think it'd be a good idea to have you on board and so uh, that's what what took place uh, how I came on board and uh, Terrence when you said about like uh, you do what you do is you pick up a camera and uh, film someone um, does it does your movie change as you're filming it or like the idea of what you're going to try to get, get across? And do you have an idea when you first start? Like, I know you want to tell his story in, in this particular documentary, but you know, if you find an interesting subject matter, how does it, how does it evolve into an actual, you know, documentary and story? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yes. Uh, I, I think that initially Somewhere in my subconscious, I think I know what the story is, even though it's not sort of revealed to me at the very top. Um, and as I, I, I think at first I'm just sort of just capturing, but I'm just capturing him in the day, just capturing the element of, of the individual and just watching how he operates. Um, and, you know, he just has so many stories. You know, he, he's such a storyteller himself. And most of the time it's, it's when you turn your, your big camera off that 
the story starts to come out. So then you break out with your phone or something, and because you you want to capture it just in 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 the in real time, you don't want him to have to retell the story because that is when his emotion is there and he's not really staging it. So, um, so a lot of the times I think that I, I am searching for the story, but I, but it, the film kind of tells you what the story is itself, I feel. And after we had started filming back in, um, 2009, I think 2008, 2009, somewhere there about, um, and I'll just get pieces along the way. And then 2011, I moved from New York. I moved from New York down to the Carolinas. Um, and I had put it down because there was, um, he, he didn't want to really continue with it because just for legal purposes, um, you know, he, he sort of, you know, I, I think when you've gone through as much trauma as this man has, even though he's done so with such grace at the same time, it still leaves a stain on you. And he just didn't want to kind of reopen that wound, I believe. Um, and, and I got to a point where I sort of understood that. And at the end of the day, as much as I, I feel like, well, I'm a filmmaker and I want to tell a story, but I'm not looking to damage anyone's credibility. I'm not looking to, to cause anyone pain, you know, just because I want to make a, a, a movie about it. Um, that's just not who I am. And so I put the film down and, you know, eight years passed. And, uh, and then, you know, after running into Tara, um, at the AWIC organization and the red carpet event, and, you know, we just started to talk about different things. And I, you know, I was telling her about that. I was telling her about, about some other projects that I was looking at that just had absolutely incredible narratives behind them. And they haven't been told, although China has been trying to get both of these stories that I've been working on. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, I sort of, um, I, I sort of kind of found out that, you know, when I look back at all of this, it is the, the, the one thing I'm like, what got him through this? And I sort of asked him this in, in the past, but, but to me, what stood out, from my own observation was that I was like, you know what? The reason this man is still happy and still has his spirits about him is because they cannot take away the one thing that God has given him. And that's his ability to create. They can take away the brand. They can take away his name. Um, people can lie about all sorts of things. He can be blackmailed and, and all the atrocities. They can kidnap him the whole nine yards, everything that, that this man had to go through. But the one thing no one can take away is for his ability to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to create something, whether it be something that is clothing design shoes, whether it be something to do with marble or designing some part of some Saudi prince's yacht or <laughs> whatever it is, because he's done so much on all levels. And for him, he no longer does like these things on a big scale. Um, you know, what I found is that he would do, he would do it on a micro level at this point, you know, because, because he can't do it on, on a big scale anymore just because of, of the whole name brand thing. Mm -hmm. um, so he's not manufacturing anything in mass and mass amounts and his name is still out there, but they're all counterfeit. 
you could go on the internet right now and you'll see Alfredo Versace stuff with Johnny Versace's logo on it. And um, you'll see his name with Johnny Versace's logo, which is, which is bad, which is terrible. But he cannot control the counterfeit market. That is a large market. You know, I, I lived in South America for a period of time and I, I've seen counterfeit Mercedes Benz. Okay, now, how do you control that? <laughs> okay, so there's, you know, it was outside of his element in terms of what he can control. And so it was a very, in my opinion, very unjust. And, and, and a lot of other people share the same opinion. And I think once individuals see the film, they will see that these were circumstances and controls outside of his control. And he got a wrong deal on it. And, uh, and people took advantage on all levels. And, mm. um, and, and that's, that's what brought him here. But at the end of the day, they could not take away his ability to create that. If he can get up in the morning and create something, design something, even if he doesn't put it into production, you know, he would just design something that was enough for him to feel content. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about any of that stuff. It was just about making something better. Um, so if he saw a shoe somewhere or what have you, and he could improve upon that in that design or what have you, he was happy and content. And uh, I think that's where he found his peace. <clears throat> now you mentioned, you know, he thought about backing out and then you, you put the movie on hold for a while. Now, have uh, you, Terrence or Tara, have you had any um, interaction with the Versace family, like that, you know, about maybe not wanting this out, or if not now, do you foresee anything like that? I hope not. Um, I think that uh, this story is so uh, Alfredo's story, and that he certainly had the right to share his experience in his life. Um, and, and I really, uh, hope that, you know, the other family members do not come and try to attack, uh, what he personally went through. So we'll see, um, so far, no, I'm, and, and like I said, you know, I hope not. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I would agree with uh, Tara on that. And, and, and that's my point as well. You know, it's like, we're all entitled to our narrative in this life you know, or life or experience. Um, we're not, I think as long as you're not telling anything that's untruth about someone, um, this film doesn't bash um, Donatello Versace or Johnny Versace. In fact, he, you know, he speaks very highly of, of uh, Johnny Versace um, because they did have a good connection, him, the two of them, before he died. Um, it's after that he died that, that things went awry and Donatella um, took up arms against Alfredo. And, and he's been respectful with it. And the only thing that he's, he's spoken about is just what has taken place. Um, he does not, he does not uh, defame anyone's name. He doesn't even bash Donatella for, you know, for all of it. He thinks it was a waste of time on both of their parts and a waste of hundreds of millions of dollars in legal fees and, and an opportunity that um, of what something could have been extremely great to all just kind of go down the toilet. Um, and, and that's unfortunate, but, uh, but he, he doesn't, you know, I mean, of course he's hurt 
by this, and you know, and there were a lot of wrongs were done against him, right? They, you know, there was there was blackmails, um, there was you know attorneys not doing what they're supposed to do. There's attorneys that double crossed him in the process. There was a lot of different things that that took place against the man, and you know, we don't poke names. I mean, all this is public record. People can go look him up. Matter of fact, I remove just about every name out of the situation um, because people can go look up the court records and court documents and they can see for themselves. Um, but, you know, we're just capturing the man and about his creativity and what's allowed him to survive this in his own way. And, um, you know, and it's in his words, you know, and, uh, and we, we hope that people will see that. Um, that they'll see that that's, you know, the essence of who he is, is that he's a creator. And, you know, as he said, he never looked up or down or sideways at what Johnny ever did. You know, he just did his own thing, you know, with, mm-hmm. that, with the exception of, of trying to carry Johnny's perfume line, which, you know, um, Johnny uh, put him in touch with Yves, um, Yves Saint Laurent, um, and they made that happen. And, um, you know, but other than that, there was they had no problems. I mean, they... You know, they, they coexisted just fine. Alfredo Versace had been around before Johnny. And in some ways, you know, he has globalized the brand because, again, what's echoed in this film is that Alfredo had products that uh, Johnny Versace did not have. And and he had it in markets that Johnny was not existent in. And, um, and that, that seems to be a, a, a common theme in the film as well. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, he, he just, he just got a wrong deal on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> Tara, for people, uh, would have, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to stop you. I was just going to say that I think a lesser person w- would not have survived, mm-hmm. um, this, but it, it does attest to the character of, of who Alfredo is. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Terry. I want to ask, like, uh, for people who aren't aware of the AAWIC, mm-hmm. if you could uh, explain what it is and like what your goal is. Sure. Um, African American Women in Cinema acronym AAWIC started over twenty years ago, and it was actually it came about uh, nothing that was planned. I would like to say, uh, just in context, accidental. But we know nothing's accidental. Mm-hmm. Uh, how the uh, organization started it was only supposed to be a one-time event just talking about uh, women of color producing feature films at a time where it was very very difficult uh, to get a distribution deal uh, through the studios and even still ring true today to a certain degree uh, so when we launched the one-time quote-unquote program wouldn't from everywhere uh, showed up, and so that was the beginning, the commencement of the organization. Um, and it was from uh, that point on that our uh, goal and mission began to expand. It initially started out as bringing awareness to women of color filmmakers, but uh, as time progressed, uh, we also included education and also collaboration. Uh, with other filmmakers, production companies, et cetera. And so our goal is to uh, 
globally expand, and we have been uh, embarking upon that with collaborative screenings and programs in Africa, uh, Ireland, and also England. So uh, we want to continue to uh, uh, push forward that narrative, certainly in the light of what just recently came out, the 2020 Oscars mm-hmm. uh, list. And now there's another hashtag, uh, hashtag Oscar So White 2020. So we would like to continue to push the inclusion of diversity because of the power that is in that. And so that's why it just pleased me to be one of the producers on the film, as well as we have another woman of color uh, who's a producer on the film, uh, Miss Anita. And so just having uh, these voices on uh, such valuable and strong projects, such as the Versace story, I believe further the mission and the goal of African-American women in cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, your time with um, the African American women in cinema. Do you think things have gotten better? I know you mentioned the the Oscars this year, so in in some ways not, I guess. No, it's 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 almost like a push and pull um, to a certain degree. Uh, somewhat, what really really changed the game <clears throat> was the introdu- introduction of the technology, like the YouTube's and the Facebook and the uh, Twitter's because way back when we started, it was a very expensive uh, position to produce the, a film. And then once you had the film done, getting it exposed was almost impossible if you had no means, no financial means of anyone seeing it. Those mm-hmm. who had a little bit of budget were able to forewall a theater, and that's renting a theater, and invite family and friends to come. And, and it will only be the theaters who were there uh, friendly uh, to that type of uh, model. And so, but now uh, you can make a film and put it on YouTube and drive uh, traffic through friends and family to that. Uh, Amazon Prime have a distribution deal online where you can upload your project on that as well. So there is, uh, some change that, you know, it's very effective uh, from whence we started. And it gives the filmmaker some level of exposure once their film is completed versus hardly none. So I'll say in that aspect, uh, over the 20 years that we've been in existence, uh, we, you know, we see that change for the better. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, like the rise of the streaming sites, there's there's obviously Mm -hmm. a need for more content. So like you said, uh, there's Mm -hmm. platforms to have these things on. But uh, with with more platforms, is it harder to stand out then and to actually get people to to watch something? Well, it depends on what platform you are on. So if you you get on Netflix and, and able to announce that, then that's easier to get a little traffic than... Uh, a platform that's just coming out, you know, and is still acquiring uh, viewers and subscribers of that sort. If you get a, again, if you get a project on Apple uh, streaming service, again, same, same concept. So yeah, it really depends upon 
what type of platform uh, that you're on that would help drive the traffic to what uh, to what you have. And uh, how did the association with Sundance come about? Well, four years ago, um, we I met up with the cinematic icon uh, Leslie Harris, uh, who did the feature film called Just Another Girl on the IRT. Over 25 years ago, uh, she took it to Sundance and broke barriers. She became the first African-American woman to win the jury prize, the Sundance jury prize. And uh, she was recognized uh, in a lot of major publications from the Washington Post to the New York Times. And then she eventually got picked up by Miramax and her film was screened globally. And so uh, when I met her, uh, she reminded me that it was uh, just about the 25th anniversary of that, of that particular project. And so I said, well, we need to go back uh, to Sundance and uh, rescreen it again as a celebratory uh, program. And so that's what we did. We went to, um, actually, uh, we ended up partnering with the Utah Film Commission and then also uh, at the time it was called the Park City uh, Film Studios. So that's where we executed the program. And since then, uh, we just, uh, out of the uh, Park City uh, studio screening, we developed a partnership, uh, friendship partnership there and just continued the screening program. In 2018, we won an award for one of the best uh, programs uh, during the Sundance Film Festival, and it was voted by the uh, studio as well as the Sundance Institute uh, staff. So, so that is our uh, way of continuing to move forward and push the narrative of diversity. Mm-hmm. And now uh, you mentioned like uh, other screenings. Um, so, so, what other places do you? Do you have like uh, these screenings or festivals? Well, well, uh, we uh, partner with independent festivals uh, throughout the country and globally. Uh, There's a festival uh, that we partnered with and we did what we call a sidebar uh, screening in uh, Oxford, England. It's called the Black Cinema uh, Film Festival there. And also just programs. Uh, we also partnered with uh, the New York Women in Film and Television uh, organization, which will host uh, film screens and also educational panels. As a matter of fact, uh, New York Women in Film and Television is our festival partner uh, when we host our festival in March in New York City. And uh, during the, actually, they clo- we close out with their partnership celebrating Swan Day. Uh, which stands for Supporting Women Artists Now. Uh, Terrence, um, wh- what like made you uh, decide like you wanted to pursue becoming a filmmaker, and and uh, and why documentaries? Okay, well, I think for me as a as a filmmaker, um, actually, filmmaking on any kind um, for me, I get excited about. Quite frankly, um, so not just documentaries. Um, Matter of fact, more of the films that I have out right now um, are are narrative, scripted narrative films. Um, sometimes as as producer, sometimes as director. Um, 
But I, for me, I think, you know, filmmaking came in, oh my God, such a long time ago. You know, I, I remember a film, I think the, the first, or at least my first early recollection of understanding the power of cinema, um, and not really even fully understanding it, but just being moved by something was a film that I saw called Across 110th Street, um, and another one called Cornbread Earl and Me which is so old. I mean, it was a Lawrence Fishburne movie. Um, I think it was like in the 70s. And matter of fact, most people, almost anyone I asked, never even heard of it. But there was this film called Cornbread, Cornbread Earl and Me, and there was this one scene in there that that took place, um, I think it was shot in Harlem at the time, and, and, uh, and th- there was this scene that was just very powerful um, that had, I think, Lawrence Fishburne running from an apartment building, from a bodega to an apartment building. And a call had just come in about a robbery um, fitting the description of of Lawrence's character. And the cops mis- misunderstood that, you know, that this was just a kid that was buying a soda pop at a bodega and it was raining and needed to run to his apartment and his friend was making a bet, I think, you know, you know, how fast he can get from there to, to, to the, to the apartment. And so he bought the stuff and he ran across the, the parking lot. Um, and this, the, the playground or the school ground, um, in, in Harlem to get to the apartment. And then the cops now receiving this call and realizing that, wait a second, this might be, the perp that they're looking for. And so they went after him and in the rain, you know, these, these gunshots rang out because he couldn't hear them tell them to stop. And, and, you know, you watch this, the, the soda pop, which was in like a glass bottle at the time. And, you know, and it, you know, it falls and hits the ground and, and, and it's all shot in slow motion. And, and, um, and I remember not really fully understanding what I was because I was just a kid at the time, but I remember being moved by the scene and I thought, wow, that, that, that was, you know, there's something there. And then I got a little bit older, um, still, still a young man. And, and I saw the movie Kramer versus Kramer. And I remember being very in tune with that. So I didn't have a, access to a lot of films growing up. You know, I was born in England and raised in England. And, and then I moved to South America where my parents my parents are from in uh, Guyana, um, and so they're Guyanese. And you know, we brought a British TV and 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 a few VHS tapes, um, British VHS tapes that could work in that system. But but they had a very different system. So so those, I only had access to a few movies. Um, but I remember watching Kramer versus Kramer and and starting to understand narrative and understand you know, empathy on a character and, and, and having a feel for, for something that's making you feel moved, although you don't understand what's all happening. And then many years later, now, you know, I, I went in the military and aviation and, and do all those things and, you know, went to school and studied computer engineering and worked in that, but then went back to school to study film um, while I was at Morgan Stanley um, because I remember uh, Bill Gates at one point, I used to be an integration engineer, and Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer 
came to Morgan Stanley because they were doing um, the project on the pocket PCs when pocket PCs first came out. And I remember begging my, uh, my bosses like, you know, can I make a, can I make a, an intro, you know, for, for the presentation? And they allowed me to do this whole mission impossible concept thing that I came up with of delivering the CD for the presentation from the 30th floor um, to the fourth floor auditorium. And, you know, I got the guards from the, <laughs> from Morgan Stanley to kind of participate in it. And I, and I, I pulled a few people in coworkers and, and I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I just knew that I wanted to make film and I didn't even know how to at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, and I, and I decided that, you know, um, I was talking to my wife at the time. I was like, you know, I, this is what I really want to do. I mean, like I love flying. I love, I love the military. I love all this other stuff that I was doing and involved in, <clears throat> but telling stories and, and making film, that is, that's what I want to do. You know, that is the thing that I would love to do. And I don't know how to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I decided to go to NYU and, and uh, my bosses will let me jump on the train and go to NYU and take classes in between work and then come back as long as I was able to finish all what I had to do. And, and, and that's, you know, that gave me the groundwork to understand, you know, film directing. So I went into the film directing program. And then once I was done with that, I said, well, I know what I do. And um, I got introduced to a gentleman by the name of Gary Donatelli from ABC's One Life to Live. And, and, um, and I went over with him and, and he sort of mentored me there for a bit. And in between that, I, I started to, you know, I, I took my camera and, and 26 actors and uh, another friend of mine that, um, that was, was English that came, that was living in the U S at the time. And, and he had this whole story about his life. And I was like, let's just go make it. And I took 26 actors and my XL one S camera and shot a movie. And some of it was really bad. <laughs> and some of it was really good, but I learned from it and I didn't care, you know, and I put it up on a festival and then it got pirated and, and I got a link for it to download. And, and I looked and I saw, wow, a hundred thousand times this film was downloaded at $1 cost in China. And <laughs> I was like, and I didn't get a penny of that, but it was okay. Right. I didn't care, you know? And, um, and, you know, so it just sort of evolved with there. And, you know, and then I got into making lots of commercials and tons of music videos and reggae videos with, with a friend of mine, um, uh, Devon Smith, who's also a director now and, and, and pretty large director in the reggae market. And, you know, he, cause he was an artist at the time. And so I'm like, well, Hey, I, I'll shoot your videos. And so I started to direct lots and lots of music videos and reggae videos um, for various artists and start shooting commercials and and then in the process of that um started to just document as well because i realized that you know that at the end of the day it's, it's you know stories about people and and so whether it was a documentary style or whether it was a scripted narrative style didn't matter or if it was a commercial or a music video you know i was always looking for the empathy part in it and and uh, that's kind of how it just evolved for me, you know. And then I started mm -hmm. TNG Films, and and my wife started Blacking Pictures, and you know we're both principals on both companies, and um, so you know she produces on 
on hers and, and starting to write and to do things like that. And, and TNG films, you know, like I said, has been a production company for, for lots and lots of music videos and, and other things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You mentioned about, uh, um, kind of like the, the similarities between a documentary and a, uh, and a scripted film. And I've, I've interviewed other, uh, um, documentary makers and they have said the same thing. There's really not necessarily a difference. Obviously how you're going to shoot everything is different, but the, the idea that they both are storytelling is the same. And I think some people don't really, uh, you know, think of it that way. Very true. Yeah. I, I think narrative's narrative. I mean, look, look at Martin Scorsese, you know, just an incredible filmmaker, right? And, you know, he does a lot of documentary films as well as, as mm-hmm. obviously scripted narrative films. And, and just about any film director that you can think about now has done documentary films also on some level, because I think, again, it just comes back to narrative, you know, it's just a different form of, of exhibiting narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, but yes, you know, um, with a documentary, I feel like you're, and, and I don't do scripted documentary, you know, so I'm sort of finding the story, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot more cinema verte in a sense. Um, you know, sometimes you're shooting on, on your red dragon camera and sometimes you're shooting on, on your cell phone, <laughs> you know, and, but you're just capturing a moment that's taking place in front of you. And, um, you know, and, and, and you're putting it together and, and adding all the other elements, you know, with tone and, and pacing and, and music and all the other elements. Um, that's why I like to edit so much, um, you know, because it, it allows me to be able to, to kind of create that process of, of a finished piece and see if it comes at least close to my vision or maybe give me something that would just surprise me altogether and be like, Oh, I don't, I didn't think of it this way, but now I'm like the audience watching it. Mm. And, and I love that, you know, and I remember one time, I think the, the, the greatest compliment I think I received was, um, I was shooting a, a documentary piece, which was not released. Um, I've shot a lot of documentary stuff that would never see the light of day because of just too controversial or, or just some other legal issue. But, um, I remember shooting one, um, with this Italian lady and uh, just going through a very horrendous life and putting it together and, and then uh, showing it to her. And she's like, that's not me. <laughs> she's like, that's not me. And I'm like, no, that's you. But what it was, was that the cinema of it, you know, you know, how I shot it, um, you know, just the angle, the wind, you know, I think she was like leaning out the car and, you know, she was just kind of like catching the wind and, and this, how the sun kind of hit her and then the, the slow motion of it and then the music behind it, it just made it into cinema. And, and so when she looked at it, it was like, that's someone else. That's a, I like that person, but that could not be me, right? And it's like, no, that, that is you. So it, it's the elements of putting all that together and then, you know, kind of separating ourselves from it and, and, you know, looking at it from a very subjective standpoint. And in, in that way, I think, uh, I think that's powerful, um, for me. Mm-hmm. And it is a subjective medium, right? So, you know, everyone, you know, some people like certain things a certain way and, you know, some people would hate what you did. I've, I've got enough hate mail, and <laughs> hate comments on all kinds of stuff. 
that at this point doesn't even bother me um, because mm-hmm. I still read them um, <laughs> as long as I'm creating. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that is a problem with the internet. There is a lot of uh, there is a lot of hate out there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't so read I, them, don't listen to them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So, uh, so Tara, Terrence, and five days from now, what's in the name will screen at a Sundance as part of the AAWIC uh, Sundance edition. So uh, you mentioned before, I don't think I, it was before recording, that you were still editing. So uh, uh, how far? Hopefully it's it's almost finished, I would assume. <laughs> it's never finished. It's oh, never it's finished. You, you know that. It's, yeah, until they pry it out of your hands, it's not done. Um, but um, no, you know, um, we we will have it ready for for the screening, and and then by the time it gets to the AWIC uh, screening event in New York, um, there'll probably be some additions and some changes as well to it, um, because there's still things happening um, in this narrative that have not been captured yet um, that I would like to to have included but but those events haven't taken place and mm. we're not fully at liberty to talk about those yet but um but before we go into wide distribution on the film i'm hoping to have all of that because because then it would give a much more conclusive um uh point to the to the story but um but right now um yep we're, we're still grinding in the edit still putting things together um you know, I mean, Sayago was able to put me in touch with a, with a great composer um, that's providing us some very, very powerful music and, you know, and, and attaching that to it. And it just brings it all to light. So, but yeah, still, still a little bit of way to go. And, um, and, uh, but we'll be ready by, by the 25th. <laughs> Uh, Tara, have you have you seen any of the uh, the documentary so far? Have you? Oh yes, 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 yes. I have, Neil, and I love what I see. Uh, it's a very strong story, very engaging, and I really believe that it will be uh, it will definitely garner attention because it's uh, it's the story that is told, but also need to be told, and it is told in a very Strong and engaging way. And uh, you, know, as producer, um, wh- where does um, what's it a name go from uh, from the screening? You know, I know it has other screenings, and then uh, yeah. what do you eventually mm-hmm. have hope? What do you eventually hope happens with it? Well, after the other, after it uh, showcases on the other platforms, then of course we would uh, look to have lock in film distribution so we can expand the platforms. Uh, that we're starting out with and uh, be able to have a, a wider and hopefully global audience. Mm-hmm. So that way uh, this story can be uh, shared globally. In a, where can people, yeah, uh, also oh, I'm sorry, shows. go on, Terrence. Oh, roadshows. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Cause I joined the international documentary association um, and I'm hoping to speak to them as well. And, um, do screenings in, in various cities. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important to, you know, to take it and, and roadshow it in places that would be appropriate to do so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just small venues, you know, even after it's out, um, because um, one, it, it allows, allows people to engage 
<clears throat> engage and um, and question and 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 hopefully not let this process repeat itself, right? You know, because in some ways, you know, people, you know, you look at at some of the mistakes that Alfredo might have made early in his life that could probably have caused us, whether it was that fact he didn't trademark his name at the time, even though, you know, he's the one that started, you know, the name way before um, Johnny had started it um, in, in various other businesses. But, you know, I, I think people can learn something from it and also learn about, you know, it's not the end of your life if mm-hmm. you were to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. People kill themselves over less than that. Right. Um, that the things that he has been given, which is his ability to create that that's more important because he created it before and he can create it again. And, and that's infinite in some ways, you know, that ability to make those connections, that ability to look at something and say, and I can improve upon that, that ability to, to just create on a daily basis. Um, regardless of what it is, I think that that's a lesson that that you know whether it be kids or grown adults can learn from. You know, I, I personally believe that everybody's creative. Like I honestly believe that everybody's creative. I think it's just the ability to be able to make those connections and to tap into it and to find the area that that someone is passionate about to be able to create it. Like for instance, I'll, my wife cooks great food and she will make a breakfast and create something with a few different ingredients. And I'm like, I would have never thought to put those things together to make an omelet. (laughs) Right. But you know, so, but that's how she creates. Right. So I feel that everyone has a creative aspect. And I think that there's something to be learned from this film about this individual, whether it just be his character and how, cool and calm he is in this situation. I mean, you'll hear from, from one of his former models and, and um, that was in the courtroom with him um, at the time. And, you know, she, she, you know, she talks about, you know, there's like a moment of defeat that you see in his eyes at one point when, you know, the judge was just being very dismissive of, of who he is and, and, you know, trying to pay him like he was a hustler, trying to ride the coattail of, of Johnny Versace's brand when he wasn't. And she's like, you'll see a small moment of defeat in his eyes, and then that's it, and he's right back to being who he is. You know, he would not let, you know, anyone put him down because he knew what he created. He knows what he's capable of doing. And... And that was, uh, and I think that's an important lesson for other people to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's always something you have to find is the relatability in the story, because I would, you mm-hmm. know, some, most people would hear that and say, and think, well, how do, how do I relate to, you know, a, an Italian, a designer, but there's always, you know, something there that, uh, no matter what walk of life you're from, you know, you can relate to. Yeah. And there's not a lot of, um, in, in this film, which I think people might find shocking, is it's not glitz and glamour, okay? There's not, um, yes, Alfredo owned three Rolls Royces um, and what's not, but you're not going to see a lot of that. You're going to hear people talk about some of it and some of their experiences with them and, and what's not. But 
this film is not, um, this is not a flashy film. If I made a flashy film, I think it's almost like it goes against who Alfredo is because he, he was just such a regular guy. I mean, you go to his house, you know, he's got a beautiful house, you know, but he is a regular guy. Okay. Yes. There's marble in his house. And so forth, but, but what uh-huh. I mean is he, he just looks like the guy next door. He operates like the guy next door. He, you know, if, if he's showing up at an event or something, then yes, you know, he's, he's going to look all, you know, all spiffy, but, but for the most part, I mean, you know, when we go around New York, nobody knows who he is other than within the circles of people that know him, you know, and, and he wants it that way, right? He does not like the limelight uh, very much, you know, but, um, and he's just a regular guy. He's really relatable. So the average person will be able to relate to him and say, wow, how could you be that regular and, you know, command such worldwide attention? You know, but he, he's the guy that jumps on, you know, jumps on the subway and, and there's no problem, you know. So it's, it's that kind of guy he is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Tara, where can people follow the African-American women in cinema, you know, and find out, you know, uh, what events you have coming up or, you know, how to get involved or anything like that? Sure, yes. They can go to our website, which is www.aawic.org. Uh, they can actually, if they're in Utah, would love to uh, come to the screening. They can mm-hmm. click on upcoming events, and uh, they can click on the link there to uh, secure a ticket. It is complimentary, the screening. So, oh, that's but excellent. It, seating is limited. <laughs> seating <Right>. is limited, <laughs> Neil. <laughs> so they have to hurry up and get their ticket. Yeah. And it's also a membership opportunity there as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Well, I appreciate both your times. And uh, actually, Terrence, uh, where can people follow you, like on social media, if they want to see what you're up to? Or maybe you're not on social media. I don't know. Um, I am. Um, actually, the easiest way, because uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook and, and all that, but um, just follow me on Instagram at TNGDIR. So that's like Tango November Golf Delta Indigo Romeo. T N G D I R at G not a Gmail, just T N G D I R and you'll find me there. Um, and, uh, and then people Google me. I'm on IMDB and, and all those other things or TerrenceGordon.com If they just wanted to go to my website, um, blackingpictures.com also, um, has information there. Um, that's, that's our company or one of two companies. But, um, but yeah, if they just want to send me like an email or something or, or just connect Instagram, easiest way, right. T-N-G-D-I-R. Very cool. Well, I appreciate both your times, Terrence and Tara. It's very uh, good to have you here. And I know we went way over 15 minutes, like I uh, I think I said in the email, but I thought it was a good conversation. <laughs> and I hope no one minds. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, having us yeah. on here. And have Absolutely. a great um, have a great screening. It's, uh, and that's very cool that it's uh, complimentary. But like you said, go and get your tickets so they know you're coming. <laughs> and they have a seat for yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, come out and see it. <laughs> very good. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, both of you. Thank you. And have a good rest of the oh, day. Right. You too. Thank you, you Neil. Well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Um,
my high school friends are off in college now And I get high and watch TV all day Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just much for me I was doing fine when I was still a kid Swapping baseball cards and playing ball Then came my school classes that I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never asked to grow up So please don't make me But I say not now No, not right now When I say I need to get a life I just agree with them But I don't know how No, I don't know Me.